Well, thank you. It's always good to come here and meet some of you folks at Tyndale, and I appreciate it very much. I don't know if any of you read the stories of Sherlock Holmes, but uh, Sherlock Holmes and his psychic Dr. Watson were one day on a camping trip, and they set up their tent, made a meal, went to sleep for the night. Halfway through the night, Holmes woke up, leaned across, nudged Watson, said, Watson, wake up. Watson woke up. Holmes said, what can you see? Watson looked up and said, I can see thousands of stars. And what does that tell you, Watson? Watson said, well, astronomically, it tells me there are billions of stars and billions of galaxies. Astrologically, I observed that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, it's about quarter past four in the morning. Meteorologically, it's going to be a beautiful day tomorrow. Theologically, it tells me God is great and powerful and we're just very small parts of his creation. Why, Holmes? What does that tell you? And Holmes said, Watson, you fool. It tells us someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> I tell you that because sometimes it's so easy to miss the obvious, isn't it? And the simple. In the story we just read from Exodus chapter 3, have you ever wondered why it was that the first thing God said to Moses was take off your shoes? You would have thought God might have had, a, had more important things to talk about, wouldn't you? I mean, here is God making an appearance in a physical way, a sort of theophany, where he appears in this bush. Moses saw the great sight. He'd often seen bushes burst into flame. Spontaneous combustion takes place out in the desert from time to time. But this one went on burning and burning, went to see this great sight, and when he got there, God called his name, and then he said, take off your shoes. Why would God be interested in Moses' shoes? <laughs> Is it because it's etiquette? If you meet God in the desert, take your shoes off? God never wastes time nor breath. There is a reason. And just leave that aside for a moment, because what God then went on to say in verse 6 was, and notice Pick up, when I read part of this, what God is talking about. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. Their cry has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself. Eight times, he says, I, I, me, my. And I imagine Moses got very excited. I imagine Moses thought, this is fantastic. We've been praying for this for years. It's been 400 years. We've been down here in Egypt for many of those years in bondage as, sl as slaves. At last, God, you are going to do something. That's fantastic. Wonderful. What are you going to do? <laughs> Verse 10. So now, go. I'm sending you. <laughs> I beg your pardon? I thought you just said you were doing this. I thought you just said that you had heard their cry. You were coming down. You would rescue them. You would take us to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's right, Moses. I did. 
The only explanation for what happens will be me. God has done it. But Moses, I'm sending you. Because the way in which I do my business is through people. You know, it's very interesting that God has millions of angels. John tried to count them once, and he got as far as 10,000 times 10,000, which is pretty good. That's 100 million. Then he gave up because he said, and many more that could not be numbered. (laughs) I think he did well numbering the 100 million. (laughs) The very name angel means messenger. By definition, angels are waiting for God to tell them what to do. That's their job description. Do what you're told. But the interesting thing is that God never sends angels to the mission field, for instance. Be a lot cheaper if he did. (laughs) Probably a lot easier. They wouldn't need visas. If there's any trouble, just disappear. And if there's real trouble, just flap your wing at somebody and (laughs) deal with it. Instead, he sends ordinary people who've got to get visas, who are clumsy, who don't know what to do, who can't speak the language, who mess up. God doesn't send angels to talk to our neighbors. Again, that would be a lot better if he did, because when we try to talk to our neighbors, they they know us, you know, they've seen us. They've heard, you know, you shouting at your wife or husband, or they've, you parked your car in the wrong place outside their patch, and we're slightly discredited. They've seen your cat come flying out to the window upside down and backwards. And we try to talk about Christ, and we feel a little discredited, we feel a little embarrassed. Wouldn't it be great if God could send an angel, knock on the door, and say, I've come to talk to you about Jesus Christ, and then to give some credibility, flap his wings in front of them, when they sit up and take notice? But God doesn't do that. Although he's got at least 100 million, plus many that couldn't be counted, instead he sends people. And I suggest to you, That's why God said to Moses, take off your shoes. Because the first thing I want from you are your feet. You know, Paul talks about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. And just recently I was thinking about that. You know, are there ways in which the Bible addresses the parts of our body that we present to God? And I'll just suggest four important ones, especially if we want to serve God. That the first part of our anatomy that God is looking for is our feet. It's very interesting that uh, three times in the Bible, first of all in Isaiah 52, and it's quoted two other times, Isaiah writes, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Isn't that interesting? It would have made a lot more sense if it said how beautiful on the mountain is the mouse of the one who brings good news, wouldn't it? How beautiful is the personality of the one who brings good news? How beautiful is the mind of the one who brings good news? When I came here from England to Toronto to the People's Church and I met with the board who were asking me about whether I'd be interested in coming here, nobody asked me anything about my feet. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody asked to see them or measure them. (laughs) Because they're irrelevant, aren't they? But why does it say how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Because I suggest that the first part of our body that God is looking for 
is a willingness to allow our feet to be put in the right place for the right purpose at the right time. Because if you say, Lord, I want to give you my mouth. I've got a well-trained mouth. I know exactly what to say. I'm good at saying it, but your feet are in the wrong place. You're not going to say much of any value. And one of the first things that God is looking for before our availability is our mobility, our willingness to be moved. When we're giving him our feet, I suggest to you he then needs our eyes. Because there's an incident in John chapter 4, you're familiar with, no doubt, when Jesus was traveling up country from Jerusalem, Judea, up to, up to Galilee. They passed through Samaria. He was tired. He sat down on the well. At least that was the alibi he gave his disciples, that he was tired. They'd walked as far as he had. But anyway, he sent them into the town to buy food. But he had another reason for sitting back at the well. Because while he was there, this woman came to draw water. It was the heat of the day. And he engaged her in conversation, you remember, offered her water from which she need never thirst again, asked her some very direct questions, discovered she was, or at least he told her, that she'd been married five times, was now living with a man to whom she was not married, evidence of her thirst, a thirst that had never been satisfied. And then his disciples came back from getting food, and they were surprised to see him talking to a woman for two reasons. One, because you didn't talk to a woman on your own. That was not good. Also, she was a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans didn't get on. And then when she left them, Jesus rebuked the disciples, and he said to them this. He said, I sent you to reap what you had not worked for. I sent you on a mission. I stayed back here to be the safety net, the catcher. If you missed her, I sent you to meet a woman in whose heart things have been taking place that you know nothing about except, he said, you didn't see her. I say to you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't pass her on the road. They did, of course, because if she was coming this way and they were going that way, they would have passed, and they probably said good morning to her. And as she passed, they probably said to each other, that's unusual, a woman going on her own to draw water in the heat of the day. Most of the women go together in the cool of the day. And so they probably did a bit of thinking about that and decided she's probably an outcast. She's probably been ostracized. Maybe she's in trouble. Maybe she slept with somebody else's husband or something. Maybe she married five times and might even work that out. But it was just gossip. Sheer gossip, nothing more. Speculation. But they didn't see her as they were meant to see her. And he said to them, that I, he said uh, in John 4, he said, one sows, another reaps. That saying is true. I send you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, which is an intriguing statement. Whatever had been going on in this woman's life, there was already planting and fertilizing of the seed that had been taking place. And I sent you to have the incredible privilege of reaping a harvest that you never saw because you never opened your eyes. You see, one of the big challenges to all of us is that when you give God your feet, Lord, I'm available to you. Where do you want to place my feet? Where do you want to put me? Is then open our eyes and see. And sometimes it's not because people 
you bump into have a big sign on them saying, I am in need, please help me. I am seeking. There's some seed being planted in my life. I'm ready to be harvested. No. No, you just uh, have a disposition towards God that says, God, I'm, I'm open to you. Is there somebody here? I travel quite a lot. When I fly, I say, Lord, if it's possible to have an empty seat next to me, I'd love that. And I can spread out and get out my laptop and it's not, you know, and if you're in, it's a bit tight if you've got somebody right next to you because you're doing this and, and they're reading what you're writing anyway. And uh, so if there's a spare seat, that's great. I can turn a bit and spread out a bit. But if there's somebody on this plane who, who, who I need to talk to, uh, you know who they are, I don't, and so I'll assume that you'll put them in next to me and help me to see if they are. And uh, sometimes you get an empty seat, which is great. Sometimes you're sitting next to somebody. somebody sometimes it's, there's no conversation. They don't want to talk. And, but sometimes you find yourself exactly in the right place with the right person and a heart that's open. I could tell you stories about that, and some of you probably have stories that are similar. Just not long ago, I was in um, Entebbe in Uganda, flying back to London, England, from London on to Toronto. And it was on a British Airways flight, and flying over southern Sudan, a vibration developed on the plane. And uh, we weren't aware of it particularly, but we were aware the plane was descending. It descended at 10,000 feet as opposed to 33,000. And the captain came on and said, you probably noticed we've come down low because we developed this vibration. It's not vibrating at this height, but it was at 30,000. And so uh, we've been in touch with, um, with, with uh, London. And as you may know, there are satellites now by which they do a diagnosis of what's going on in an aircraft if there's some trouble. Have you read about that? It's quite remarkable. And uh, they've diagnosed what the problem is from a satellite reading us and our information and everything else. And uh, they've asked that we turn back to Entebbe. But we've got a lot of fuel on board, so we're going to have to fly uh, for about three hours around Lake Victoria uh, to get rid of, burn up the fuel. And after three hours, which lasted for four hours, uh, they then said that Entebbe were not in a position to repair what needed repairing, so we're going to fly to Nairobi instead. So this was a long hassle. We landed in Nairobi. They put us onto other planes and uh, gave us a voucher to go into a restaurant to get some food. And the restaurant was jam-packed. And I, I got a tray, and I saw a guy sitting by himself at a table. And I said, uh, went up and said, do you mind if I join you? Because you know, there was nowhere to sit. And he said, not at all. So sat down. Turned out he was a Christian doctor, actually, who'd been in Rwanda and on his way back to England. And so we had a nice chat. But suddenly when we were talking, a guy, there were four seats. The doctor was over there. I was here, empty seat here, empty seat there. Suddenly, a guy slid into the seat in front of me, leaned across the table, said, excuse me, are you a born-again Christian? <laughs> so I said, uh, is that good or bad? <laughs> he said, are you a born-again Christian? I said, well, why do you want to know? He said, I was listening to your conversation, and I think you might be. I said, why does that interest you? <laughs> he said, I want somebody to pray for me. He was in the British Army. He was married to a Ugandan lady, and he had been out for a couple of weeks. And leaving her and their child behind in Uganda, he was going back. Uh, to the UK and was then going to be going to another tour of duty in Iraq. And he said, I'm concerned about my child. 
I realize the world we're growing up in is not a good world. And I'm concerned about leaving my wife behind. I don't know what to do. I've just left them at the airport, and I'm frightened, and I'm scared. I just want somebody to pray. And I said, why do you want a born-again Christian to pray? He said, because I think they know God, or they seem to have more familiarity with God. <laughs> I said, do you know God? He said, no. I said, well, would you like to know him? He said, I don't know. But it was very obvious he did. <laughs> and so we talked, and we shared with him the, how he can know God. We prayed for him. Uh, he went off on his flight. I went off on mine. He was flying to London on a different airline, Kenya Airways. I was on British Airways. And it was interesting. We got into London Airport, and um, I went to get my bag, and I went into the washroom, and this guy was standing in the washroom. So I tapped him on the shoulder. And he said, what are you doing here? I said, probably the same as you. <laughs> I said, uh, I just got in. He said, my flight, he said, so did mine. He said, mine was delayed because he was supposed to have gone earlier. So I said, well, maybe this is providential. Maybe it is, whatever that means. <laughs> so it means maybe God has brought us together. But I tell you that story because uh, we had exchanged emails and uh, email addresses in Nairobi. We talked then again. We continued to email, and he has come to Christ. But you see, it's being in the right place at the right time with eyes open. Now, I didn't have my eyes open. He came in right in front of me, so it's a bit different, I suppose. Remember once my brother borrowed a car when I was... There's no time for that. Anyway, he had an accident, hit somebody. <laughs> he hit somebody, put a long story short, when I was about 20 with my car, hit somebody else's car, and uh, uh, we had to go and see this couple because it was, uh, we were in a rural part of England. We went to see them a couple of miles away. And uh, this man and his wife were there. We discovered this, his wife was seeking for God, and she came to Christ. It cost a car because my car was written off. But just open your eyes and look. And when your eyes are open and your feet are in the right place, the third thing to do is to open your ears. Because in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah has a lot to say about the prophets of his day. And uh, he talks about them filling people with false hopes, speaking visions from their own minds. In other words, they give people what they want. But this is the antidote. He says, which of them, in Jeremiah 23, verse 18, which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? And he says, if, my, if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. So they have a message which is popular, but he says, which of them has ever stopped to listen to me? You know, when I started preaching years ago, I used to ask God to give me sermons, and he rarely seemed to cooperate. So I changed my prayer. I asked God to give me burdens for people when I'd go to speak somewhere. I'd say, Lord, give me a burden. I don't know how to speak. Just lay something on my heart. And very often you'd feel a sense of something, a, a weight. And uh, many times I have seen and learned that that is God putting that into my heart. We all learn in our own lives how we hear from God because it's no standard way. God speaks to us in different ways, depends on many factors in ourselves. But he said, if you'd stood and listened and said, Lord, what is it you want to say? What is it that's on your heart for those people? If you listen, you'll have something that'll 
not just kill the time for 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever it is. You'll have something which will actually penetrate into their hearts. And the fourth thing, when you present your feet, you're in the right place and you open your eyes and you look and you give them your ears so you hear the fourth thing and it's given your mouth. I love that verse in Isaiah 50 in verse 4. The sovereign Lord has, instru- has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. When our ears are tuned to God, we have an instructed tongue. You know what an instructed tongue is? It always sustains the weary. And the uninstructed tongue always imposes burdens. nothing more satisfying than listening to an instructed tongue, nothing more frustrating than listening to an uninstructed tongue. It's not the content that makes it instructed, it's the origin. This is a word from God. And you and I have the right, as we listen to the word of God, to be able to expect that I will hear a word from God that is for me. Because an instructed tongue will bring a word that sustains the weary. So, Moses, take off your shoes. Moses said, who am I? God didn't answer the question and say, well, Moses, I've been training you for all these years. You've been looking after sheep for 40 years. You know, that's perfect training. What are you going to do for the next 40 years, which is take the Israelites to the wilderness? You've been living with your mother-in-law for 40 years. That's fantastic training for the kind of problems you're going to have with the people. (laughs) He didn't answer all that. He didn't reason All of that may have been true. He simply said, I'll be with you. And Moses is in your shoes. And you trace Moses' shoes, actually, because at the end of his life, Deuteronomy 30, he said that his shoes had never worn out in 40 years. Now, whether you can make that kind of parallel and say, well, there's a a message there as well as a very practical thing, but I think there is a message there that when you give your shoes to God and say, Lord, I want you to put my feet in the right place for the right purpose at the right time. Your shoes won't wear out because you'll always have the resources you need. And when Moses did die and Joshua replaced him and he was going to take this, cross the Jordan and going to take the city of Jericho, uh, you remember before he went to Jericho, he saw a man he didn't recognize and he looked dangerous. He had a drawn sword in his hand and Moses went up and said, are you for us or for our enemies? And he said, neither, but as captain of the, of the army of the Lord of hosts, I've now come. And Joshua recognized this was, a, this was what we call a Christophany, an incarnate, pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And he fell flat on his face and said, uh, my Lord, what have you come to tell me? And you know what God said? He said, take off your shoes. And Joshua said, beg your pardon? You've come from heaven, incarnate? in a human form with a dangerous-looking sword in your hand, and you tell me to take off my shoes? Yes. I think you've got to think about shoes, because Moses mentioned that. (laughs) You're right, Joshua. I've got to think about your shoes. You see, I want you now, as you go into Canaan, wherever you place your feet, that place will be yours. So you better make sure I'm in your shoes. Because that's what will give you the authority. And as it was God in Moses' shoes and God in Joshua's shoes and God in your shoes, is it God in your shoes and God in my shoes? I mean, where do your feet take you? It's God in our shoes. You can thank him in advance for the way he's going to use your life to bless other people because you'll be in the right place at the right time. Open your eyes, 
Look at the fields. Open your ears so you've got the right word and then open your mouth with an instructed tongue and it'll lift the burdens of the weary. Well, let's pray and ask God to make that true for us. Father, we thank you this morning that we're not just running around trying to find something to do for you or scheming up our own best ideas, but we are to live in relationship with you as we already heard this morning, the sheer joy of being in relationship with you where you direct our paths, not usually consciously, more often unwittingly on our part. You put us in the right place at the right time. And we want our eyes to be open to see the people that you want to meet and minister to. We want our ears to be open. We're not talking things that originate in our own minds, but things which come from God and then to speak with a tongue which is instructed and that gives relief to the weary. Thank you for every person in this room this morning. Thank you that our hearts belong to you. And we pray that our bodies will be presented to you daily, that you may take us and lead us and use us for your glory and for the blessing of other people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.